listeners welcome to out of the box talks in the fifth episode today we journey deep into the heart of india beyond its bustling cities to uncover the captivating stories and challenges of rural india our guest preeti david executive editor of the people's archive of rural india pari is here to shed light on her experiences insights and the profound narratives that are reshaping our understanding of india's rural communities through her lens we'll explore the dispelling of myths the transformative force of storytelling and the imperative to preserve india's vibrant cultural heritage prepare to be inspired as we unearth the myths delve into the power of storytelling and discuss the critical importance of preserving india's rich traditions preeti david takes us on a compelling journey revealing the voices and stories that are often overlooked yet essential to our understanding of rural india join us in this enlightening episode where we bridge the urban rural gap and celebrate the resilience diversity and spirit of rural india hello preeti good morning and welcome to out of the box talks from united way of chennai we are delighted to have you with us today i follow the work you all do and it's really wonderful thank you my first question for you is what are the key elements that a story must include to capture and retain the attention of a reader especially on issues such as those raised by pari so at pari uh, we believe and we try and follow the practice of journalism through storytelling we believe that uh, you know a good story can has a, can reach very far has a wider audience will uh, make you allow you to empathize with what is happening versus a very simple you know report which has statistics and facts and figures and you know some so we try at pari our focus is to tell stories of rural india and people in rural india livelihoods in rural india through storytelling so to do in order to do that we have to bring front and center the voices of the people in the story very often as journalists we try and bring our own voices in we try and you know foreground what we are saying as journalists because we sometimes think that we know better we, you know we are better read or we are better traveled or whatever but at pari we work very very hard to make sure that the people in our stories are front and center of the story so their voices will carry the story through so for example if i am writing a story on uh, let's say agriculture in a certain part of tamil nadu or migration in uh, let's say karnataka i will allow the migrant or the farmer in my story to speak right my job as a journalist in pari is to bring to find that story to bring it uh, to the audience to do the research needed to ask the right questions right uh, to bring some of the facts which will help to hold up that story um so this is so all pari stories are a combination of this they could be many voices they could be a single voice they could be a community speaking they will have some experts also in that there will be some facts but all of it is stitched together as a story and what will what you will take away from that story is the voices of the people in that story and that's what we hope for thank you for that my next question for you is pari has received acclaim for dispelling numerous myths about rural india founder p sainath everybody loves a good rod delves deep into the subject 
and serves as an eye opener could you share from your experience one or two such okay so uh, when we talk about pari uh, what we try and uh, do very quickly is when, when you say rural india for example people imagine it's a farmer with a tractor or a plow right and a male farmer with a tractor and a plow so one of the first thing that we found on the first myths that we dispel is that you know a lot of farming in india more than 65% is done by women in rural india and so this very the biggest myth that you have about rural india that it's a man with a plow is the first one that we dispel we say that most of agricultural work in india is done by women most of the news and information about rural india lies at two ends of the spectrum one is the barbaric uh the terrible th- things which are happening right like caste atroc- atrocities or gender violence and so on at the other end of the spectrum you have the very the stories of exotic rural india where there are only five weavers left who you know can weave a particular kind of garment or uh, two uh, metal worksmiths of that area who make that particular artifact so between these two spectrums of the exotic and the barbaric we believe that there is a wide uh, amount of livelihoods lives professions and occupations that exist in rural india so at pari our uh, focus is to try and bring you that spectrum while we agree and we acknowledge that there is a lot of barbarism in rural india there is a lot of practices which should be abandoned and there is a lot that is wrong with rural india we want to also celebrate what we feel is the tremendous amount of knowledge the resilience of people in rural india and also just the news about rural india let's say in my oran story the myth that what india categorizes as a wasteland is actually land that is used by communities for fodder for herding uh, for you know agriculture and so on so that's again let's see let's just take that simple myth right so you have vast categories of land in india which is categorized as wasteland because that's a british uh, colonial era nomenclature for land that is non revenue land but scientists in india have been saying shouting for a long time that this is not wasteland this is actually an ecosystem of its own it's an open grassland it's an ecosystem right and it supports not just people and their livelihoods but it also supports animals and insects and birds and so on so one of the myths that we want to change is by by scientists have been saying that we want to actually write about people who are using this land the herder the pastoralist the agriculturist and show by talking about how they use the land and how they see the land maybe people at the center policy makers will stop and think that hey i have been you know giving this land away to for development for scz's or uh, you know um, renewable energy but actually this land is being used it's not a wasteland uh for example in my kuno story one of the myths that we want to uh, So we want to change is to say that oh great we'll have the cheetahs here and you know india will be the only country in the world which has you know all the big cats in one place but at what cost if you are not going to talk about the cost the human cost uh, that is going to be uh, in, is not being factored into this then i think it's really unfair and that is the stories that we want to bring out we want to bring out for example that every time the government has a policy how is that policy impacting people on the ground right uh, do they have a voice can we give them a voice to say to say what they want to say about this right uh, we uh, i'll give you another example we imagine that um, 
Adivasi people because they are traditional dwellers of the forest that they are probably um, not very well educated or you know because they don't have generations of formal education and that they will be a particular way but i have two stories from the nilgiris which i have done in which uh, you can hear the adivasi people talking about their own culture their community and the things around them uh, and there is nothing uh, you will only have admiration for them and the kind of work that they are doing they are very much they have agency over their own lives they are looking to you know hold on to their culture uh they are preserving their language and their art and craft so another myth that pari likes to dispel is about the farmer in india i have already said that you know one of the things we we show with our stories is that women do a lot of farming work in india 65 to 70% is done by women in india right the other myth that exists is the farmer is you know this very big landlord actually 90% of, in, of holdings in india farm holdings are very very small and marginal in uttar pradesh for example i think 92% of holdings are uh, you know less than a hectare less whatever two bighas or something so this idea that you know farmers are very rich individuals who uh, have acres and acres of land and you know they just sell their produce and they live these fancy lives is not true the average indian farmer is not a big landlord he's a small farmer he's probably cultivating that with his wife right he's probably actually today left farming 15 million uh, in farmers have left farming in india in the last two decades so there's some figure like that uh, they have come away to urban india to work as masons plumbers labor contract uh, labor uh, daily wage labor and so on their wives are the ones left behind doing the farming and we have stories about that on pari when you feature a person's story on your platform what unfolds in their lives can you share a few stories of change do you revisit those individuals perhaps after a few years and do a follow up okay so i'm going to answer this up uh, we'll take a little while to answer this question because it's a fairly serious one so let me go back to a story i did based in kurao which is in prayagraj district of uttar pradesh on all socio economic parameters akurao is among the worst districts in india right uh, literacy education gender whatever you might want to say caste based violence and so on uh, when i went to do a story in kurao it was on underage girls getting married so of course uh, you know there is this uh, if you are an urban indian you mean like my god these people are illiterate you know this is why they want to get their girls married off early they don't understand the psychological emotional physical you know problems which come with early marriage and so on right but actually when i went to kurao to do the story i found that it was nothing to do with education or an understanding of a young girl's health it was a very simple reason for getting your young daughter married early and that was a fear of something happening to her from gender violence because she had reached puberty and therefore the risk of her getting pregnant in a in an unwanted pregnancy was very high and so marriage was seen as the only safe option and so i covered a story from kurao on a dalit basti uh, dalit hamlet and uh, i spoke to young girls i spoke to their mothers i spoke to the anganwadi worker the asha worker i spoke to uh, you know the head ma- master of the school over there to find out what are the various factors influencing families over here to get to uh, which are forcing them to get their 12 and 13 year old daughters into marriage 
And it was very simply this one single factor that once a girl reaches puberty, they were very worried that, you know, something would happen to her. And therefore, they felt that marriage was the only option or the safest option at that point. So uh, that was, yeah, so that's what that's about one of the, you know, preconceived notions that we might have about rural India, which a uh, story like mine. I, as a journalist, also learned something new. And actually, that's what I really like about the professional journalism is that every time you do a story, you learn something new, your worldview widens, you get to meet uh, people who are doing amazing things. So anyway, that's on the side. Uh, as far as change goes, let me tell you a very two very recent stories I did. I follow uh, renewable energy and I follow forests and so on. Um, in a story I did last year, I did two stories based in Kuno, where the cheetahs have been translocated from Africa into. And uh, my story was... So in January 2022, the news media was full of stories about how cheetahs are going to be coming in from Africa and they're going to be placed in Kuno. Uh, so there were many stories about the biology, the conservation, the wildlife conservation aspects of, you know, whether cheetahs should come in or not and how will they be transported and whether this follows India's, you know, wildlife action plan, etc., etc. But at Pari, we felt that the story was really about the people who were going to be displaced for the cheetahs. Now, people, there were 24 villages that lived within Kuno National Park. And in 1999, they had already been displaced because they had been lions from Gir were going to come to Kuno. Because India has the only population of the Asiatic lion and they are all in one location. Uh, wildlife biologists will tell you that that's a very dangerous thing to happen. If you have all of one species in one location, a forest fire, a, a virus, uh, even man-animal conflict could wipe them out completely. So Kuno had been readied in 1999 for, for lions to be relocated, or at least a, some lions to be relocated. So there would be two distinct populations of lions. But till date, that is till 2022, no lions had come. And now cheetahs were going to be bring, brought from Africa, and they were going to be put in the same place. So my, I went to Kuno uh, in March. So the news came out in January. In March, I was in Kuno, and I spent many days there. And... Uh, my story looked at what about the people in all of this? So yes, we have the biology, we have the wildlife conservation and so on. But what about the people, who, people whose lives will be displaced forever? What had they been promised by the government? Had they got what they were promised? Is it a fair compensation? Are they happy with it? Has the government fulfilled all its promises? So as journalists, as rural journalists, this is what our mandate is. Uh, our mandate is getting to talk to people in the village and asking them, how has your displacement been? And I, I hope you get a chance to see my two stories on Kuno. Uh, one says, in Kuno, uh, Adivasi's out, Cheetah's in. And the other one says, uh, in Kuno, no one gets the lion's share. So they are very detailed stories about the background information about what is happening in Kuno. For example, for 22 years, people who were promised, uh, you know, rehabilitation when they were asked to move for the lions have still not been uh, compensated fully. They are still waiting for jobs, for hand pumps, for, you know, better land and so on. And we also discovered that the last village uh, in Kuno uh, is yet to be displaced and now they will be displaced with the cheetah. What one also discovered was that when the people moved out of Kuno, uh, they were broken, their Gram Sabha was broken up and they were, because they were, you know, displaced and, and uh, placed in different, different villages, they no longer had a single Gram Sabha which could address all their problems. 
So the fact that they had not got compensation, the fact that the compensation was inadequate or, uh, I mean, not enough, was never addressed because there was no democratic body with a single voice left for them to address, right? So they were scattered in these 13 different uh, hamlets and villages. And this is one of their biggest issues, is that, you know, you give us our Gram Sabha back so that we have a voice. If we don't have a we don't have a voice. So uh, after the story broke, uh, the second story broke in July, uh, 11 days later, actually, um, there, were a, there were questions in Parliament uh, were asked as to why the lions had not been relocated. Now, this is a question had not been asked despite the Supreme Court ruling in 2013 saying the lions must be sent in six months. No one had asked any questions about lion relocation. Kuno is very far away. Even for journalists to reach there, it's not easy. You have to take a train, you have to take a bus, you have to reach uh, there. There's nowhere to stay there. You have to find a place to stay. So journalism in India is, you know, if you want to do rural journalism in India, you have to make an effort to reach the place where you want to report from. I can't sit here in Bangalore and write about Kuno. Questions were asked in Parliament about uh, the relocation. Uh, the government gave some, you know, roundabout answer and so on. But for me, one of the best things that came out of it was a month later, the district collector of Kuno, the Kuno area, Vijaypur, asked uh, the people to come and he said, I will get you guys back your Gram Sabha. I understand that this is one of the biggest problems that you have is you don't have a collective voice. Without a collective voice, there is only so much that they could achieve. So they uh, they said, okay, we will give you back your grand sabha. So this, this is one of the you know uh, things in which we hope that some kind of change has come. More recently, I did two stories on uh, Orans in Rajasthan. Uh, the first one was about the Great Indian Buster, and the second was about renewable energy plants taking over the sacred groves or Orans of Rajasthan. Uh, again, uh, uh, my story was used because Pari stories are published in many languages, you know, it's accessible to everybody. So my story was used and the video done by my colleague Urja was used in the protest against the takeover of Orans just uh, 10 days later. And for the first time ever, the Rajasthan government said that uh, one Oran, the Devrai Oran, they said we will return it back, we will take it uh, out of it was in a western category we will return it to the sacred grove so that nobody can now violate it by setting up a, a solar or a wind energy plant there so the recategorization of land was done because the story showed how by taking over rajasthan's forests because they don't look heavily wooded and you imagine them to be wastelands and that's a colonial era nomenclature non-revenue land the people of Rajasthan were increasingly finding that their sacred groves or their access to forests, their ecological spaces were shrinking because renewable energy companies were coming in and taking it up. So this decision by the Rajasthan government to return part of the Oran back, it's a small, it's just about 36,000 gigas, but it marked the first ever such move. And now we hope that other Orans will also have a chance to apply for recategorization of their Oran and, you know, return it back to being an ecological space that is used by the whole community. Sorry, I'll end, I'll end this part to just two important things to note here. A lot of stories that we do, and especially these two stories that I mentioned to you, are about how land is being taken away from people who have very little voice or agency over it, and it is being given uh, to 
its um, use is being changed completely. So Kuno, which was a national park, which was home to 16,000 people who lived and farmed and worked over there, have been moved out to make it a safari park where people like you and me can pay money and enter. But the people who lived in Kuno, whose home it was, will not get a chance to enter back into their home again. So you see how resources have been moved away from one set of people and given to another set of people. It's, it's quite obvious over here. A safari park will be used by a certain economic class of people and the home belongs to somebody else. In the same way, the Oran also, what was uh, you know, land used for grazing, for cultivation, uh, you know, by people who lived in and around the Oran and who was, protect and was protected by them as a culturally rich space, has now been given over to renewable energy companies who are creating green energy. How green this is, is another question, which you can see in my story. And that green energy is being evacuated out of Jaisalmer to Delhi. So it's not like the people in Rajasthan are getting to light a bulb in their homes. No, they are still don't have electricity. They live right next to the solar park. So we have again taken land away from people, uh, from some people, and uh, it is now being used as a resource for those who can afford to pay for it. So this is what we try and do at Pari, is we try and bring these stories out because people in the Ornia, living near the Oran or who have been displaced in Kuno don't get onto national news and media simply because journalists are not talking to them or because it's very difficult to reach where they are or there is a language barrier or we imagine that why should we talk to them? Let's talk to the experts instead. So that is the conversation that we want to change with, our, with Pari stories. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Because just to understand the larger picture of, of our country, reading the few mainstream media is not enough. We, we need yeah. more work uh, of organizations like Pari, even for Goons for that matter, to talk about what exactly the situation is in this part of India. That, that's really amazing. Thank you. Uh, jumping to the next question. Rural to urban migration is common in India. What are the challenges faced by those making this transition? Do you think urban India is sensitive to these challenges? So, uh, in fact, I'm teaching a course at Ashoka University this semester called Media and Migration. And uh, it's been, as you know, in India, one out of three people is on the move at any given time. So about 400 million Indians are on the move. Right. Many of them are moving not just to urban India, but they are moving within rural India. So if there is a sugarcane season, for example, people will move from one district to where the sugarcane is being harvested and they will get you know, daily wage jobs there. There is a wedding in the family. Somebody may move away for three, four months, go and work on a construction site in a nearby town and come back home. Uh, if there are medical expenses, again, people will step out and come back, right? Women get married, they move uh, homes for that as well. Women accompany their husbands along with their children to construction sites, to brick kilns and so on. Uh, they, an entire family will move as, migration, as migrants, right? Uh, their challenges are many. Uh, they, uh, of course, as we know, uh, they have no social security. So tomorrow, if the contractor doesn't pay them, many migrants will move at very extractive and exploitative wage rates. For example, 
a brick kiln, for example, you will have got an advance in a brick kiln owner. But what will happen is to match that advance in your daily wages, you will employ the entire family, including children, to make bricks. Right? Uh, and it's a very exploitative and a very extractive business. You can see many stories on Friday about brick kilns. So migrants from rural India are on the back foot. They are uh, they have many many challenges. One the simple one is uh, who to rely upon, uh, how to not get into uh, you know uh, the power equation that exists between you who are so desperate for a job and just to send five thousand rupees home versus the person who's employing you who can be as exploitative as they like because you will work for peanuts if you have to, right? So. That is one of the many challenges. The other thing is, for example, if you work in construction and you have an injury, you're a migrant labor, mm. uh, or you have, what is the compensation? Have you read the rules? Have you registered? You know, there is a registration that you have to do for in Orissa, for example, if you are a migrant labor. But if you don't register and if you don't pay that annual whatever small amount of fee it is, then you are not eligible for compensation. So there are many uh, many stories on Pari which detail this better than I am saying it and. Uh, uh, yeah, I would urge you to probably read those. We have an entire section called the Rural in the Urban uh, that has many, many such stories, and especially stories during what happened during COVID. What happened during COVID? How my how migrants were, had to go back? How did they make that journey? Right. Thank you. My next question it's kind of a big question. India possesses a diverse tapestry of schools and traditional crafts. Encompassing unique occupations such as professional storytellers, sculptors, weavers, artisans, representing various regional art forms, and uh, an epic poem singers. Nevertheless, several of these traditions are facing the risk of fading away. What are some of the reasons for their decline, and what strategies can we can be different stakeholders employ? to maintain a harmonious balance between urban and rural India while preserving these invaluable cultural treasures? So that's a tough one, simply because uh, a lot of craft in India has now is no longer used in daily life, but has actually become an artifact in our drawing room. Therefore, the question is that, uh, you know, should I, should we be preserving bamboo baskets or uh, and making them, you know, like sustainable as a livelihood, bamboo basket making. Uh, uh, how does it, how do we do that when plastic is available for, uh, you know, fraction mm. of the cost and right. is perhaps longer lasting in many ways, right? So I think the way to, that we would, we look at it is that when you have baskets made in bamboo by uh, bamboo basket makers, you are, uh, when you buy a basket, you are sustaining an entire, like, you know, uh, chain of livelihood opportunities around it. it. It is not, it's the people who cut the bamboo, it's the people who slice the bamboo, it's the people who weave it, right? It's a sustainable, uh, uh, you know, raw material. Um, it is biodegradable and it also supports the livelihoods and lives of people who are usually on the margins of society like say, let's say the adivasis who live outside the forest right who would like to live in the forest and this is something if they can sell the bamboo basket and they have a sustainable life right so uh, very often so i just took the case of a bamboo basket to explain to you versus a plastic or a metal one 
which is uh, needs no protection it has it can sell on its own right so how does one uh, how does one look at these two uh, things one has to look at i think the craft in a more kind of a 360 degree way as to where is it coming from which are the communities it's supporting uh, if we take this craft away for example what is a livelihood opportunity that we have for those people who are making this craft i'll tell you what it is we've done enough stories on it in rural india they will become migrant labor and because they may be uh, not have not have not had a formal education they will be on the lowest rung of the migrant labor line up so they will probably be the guys cleaning sand or shifting bricks from here to there right so when we uh, when we decimate a craft by allowing uh, you know something to take its place by encouraging let's say plastic baskets in a market and so on making it really cheap and affordable by everybody we are in fact uh, signing the death knell for a whole community of people whose lives and livelihoods depended on that bamboo basket making and we are leaving them with no option but to become migrant daily wage laborers at the lowest end of the daily wage spectrum right so i think that is something that we need to consider now is this the way the future is going to go i really don't know but at least i think we need to become aware of it and we need to become aware of it and make uh, people aware of this that these are the choices you are making so at pari we have a very big section called the mosaic section in which we have uh, you know music art culture paintings uh, from different parts of india for example recently we have carried a very uh, uh, you know beautiful poetry by a gujarati poet vajay uh, singh and uh, he's an adivasi and his poetry is searing you have to you have to read it and you know it's it's beautiful now uh, although he is such a fantastic poet he did not get enough media coverage during his lifetime so at pari these are the kind of people whose work we want to preserve the grindel songs project is another one which i had mentioned in which you know women sing while grinding grain uh, at the stone it was a place that they felt that they could speak up and you know talk about things that bothered them and so on and that again is a huge treasure trove of music um, which is based in a culture which again we have on pari we have, have the kachhi songs uh, now an archive growing of, of songs sung by women in the kachh region right um so so we are trying to build uh, and keep this is very much part of our uh, you know mandate as an archive to have a place to store a store where you can at any point in time come and see the different art music culture of rural india that exists but not in the way that a design institute would do it in which you know you'd have the technical colors of paint what it was made of no but the people so yeah maybe this is something i i should say very strongly having covered craft also is it at pari we look at stories around craft art music as very closely connected to the story of the person doing it we don't see the music as something separate we don't see the artwork as something separate or the woven tapestry of a sari as something separate we see them as very closely connected to the lives of the people who are doing it because these these occupations are inherited occupations these occupations are not being learned from a book right they are being learned from being you know uh, 
in that atmosphere, in that home where there's a weaving machine, you learn. You learn about motifs. You learn about color combinations. You learn about the strength of a thread. Uh, this is not. This is something that you learn uh, listening, hearing, feeling, touching. So that is why we, we document craft and art like that. We document it as being an extension of the person who is doing it. And that is why we say that Pali stories are stories about people doing all these things, rather than taking the craft and saying it's a story about Ikat. It's not a story about an Ikat weave, it's about the Ikat weaver and what he or she can create. That's, that's beautiful. Also about the people. It's all. It's also about the person. That's that's very that's yeah, very personal yeah. to my heart too. <laughs> my next question is: Paris website serves as a comprehensive resource about India's diverse communities. In addition to your online presence, can you tell us about your on-the-ground initiatives? Uh, okay. So I, I think I, I just want to speak a little bit about the website Pari and what all we have on it because I think that uh, our stories are always front and center. You see it on the carousel, but there is a lot that is there uh, also in Pari that I just want to touch upon. For example, Pari has a huge library section. Uh, it's completely free to access and we have uh, both government data as well as well research report reports over there. You can see the entire document as well as we have a a small focus uh, of the document as well as 10 to 15 uh, important points, key takeaways from that document. So we have curated those reports as well as we have kind of summarized it for the for students, for academics, for whoever wants to read the report, right? For example, you want to read about the state of India's forests. Uh, there's a report there which tells you how the data has been gathered and it will also give you 15 important points. Uh, for example, the fact it will mention the fact that today plantations are also being counted as forests. So when you see that 21% of India is forest, you know now that plantations are also being counted, which is actually completely wrong. Right? So we have a library which is there and it's all free to access. We have a huge uh, translations team at Pali, which translates all Pali stories into 14 different Indian languages. Um, there's a it's, it's a very big project, the translations project. It uh, has a lot of uh, people working on it simultaneously, sometimes uh, trying to find words which are not there in the language, the closest you know, appropriation, uh, approximation for the, that. It, it's a big project, and that's one that we are very proud of at Pari. Uh, we also have the archive section of Pari in which we document and archive things which maybe 50 years later will not be there to see. Right? For example, we have the Grindel Songs project in which women grinding flour are singing, grinding wheat are singing uh, songs and uh, it's poetry, it's music, it's uh, history, it's sociology, there's a whole lot going on there and many women uh, maybe 50 years from now will not be using the grinding stone and they will, therefore those songs will also die out. So we are also an archive of such stuff. And finally, we are... Um, we have a very large education section which in which we reach out to schools and colleges, universities. Uh, we teach sessions, courses, workshops, getting young people to uh, you know, understand what is happening in rural India, to get them to see it, but also to bring stories of rural India into the curriculum. So if I have a ninth standard textbook on in geography, let's see if I can have a Pali story about irrigation or, or drought and to precede that or to bring that information in, into your textbook. 
so that you don't see rural india as being some exotic or unwanted part of india but as very much a part of our reality and we do that with students we have a very strong uh, very interesting uh, set of stories about migration because in urban india students the first uh, impression they have of rural india is from the migrants who are working in their homes the watchman the driver the cook you know and so on so we try and get them to engage to learn a little bit more about rural india through these conversations with them and therefore maybe you know expand their uh, world view of the different realities in india right so that's yeah that's the many sections that we have at pari we have a faces uh, thing a faces section which uh, you must have seen also it's about the different facial diversity in india we have a very large set of films short films long films from different parts of india pari covers rural india in multiple ways for example we have a very big project called the climate change stories right in which we have reported from across the across india about how the climate is changing but our story is not just the you know the science of climate change it's also about how this climate change is impacting people on the ground for example my story on um, the changing insect population due to the changing climate is about how when insect populations change because the climate has become too hot and they don't survive even you know one degree of difference in their climate how for example butterflies are moving from eastern india's himalayas to you know the central himalayas because the climate is changing and they can no longer live there so how invasive species are you know getting uh, stronger in india because there is nobody to stop them so uh, climate change is a is a very important uh, subject and we have covered it quite extensively in pari uh, we have stories about insects we have stories about pepper we have stories about you know in rayalseema in andhra pradesh we have stories from the himalayas uh, so we've done a lot of yeah, work on climate change we have a another set of stories on women's reproductive health uh, with pfi in which we have uh, spoken to young women old women middle aged women people who work with women uh, to get their stories of sexual and reproductive health what are the issues that they face for example i told you about my story on underage marriage that is part of the series on reproductive and sexual health that we have we have a lot of stories by students which cover migration as well we have uh, yeah we have lots of you know uh, themes like this at pari uh, you'll have to go to the website really to see it stories on adivasi stories on dalit issues stories on uh, you know resource crunches uh, the rural and the urban that is the stories on migration um stories on education and health yes so yeah we are a very large resource of everything that is happening in rural india that that's a lot of coverage you you guys are doing my next question is uh, could you provide examples of some of the most marginalized and underserved communities across india what can students individuals big corporations do to support and stand in solidarity with these communities so one of the things we want to achieve with pari is to bring rural india into the conversation currently uh, and this is a old study but it does say something it says that six uh, you know less than 1% of media coverage is about rural india even if let's say in 10 years things have changed and today it is 
2% uh, whatever, or 1%. That's still very, very little. We have over 800 million people, according to Census 2011, who live and work around rural India, right? We have uh, 780 languages spoken in, in India. So there is a lot that is happening outside of cities, but it is not in the media conversation. So I think the first thing that we'd like to achieve with Pari is to get people interested in uh, issues outside the city. With young people, it's, it's easy, you know, you can tell them, do you know where your water comes from, do you know where your coal comes from, do you have you seen where renewable energy plants are, and trying to get them to connect their lives with what is happening in rural India, right? Uh, with older people, we'd like to say that, you know, maybe expand your media basket, uh, continue to read whatever you're reading, but also try and see if you can read more about rural India, look for news on rural India, uh, read party stories, uh, get to see what else is happening outside in your, in your country, not just in urban India. Uh, with young people also, we work very hard to say, can we give you the tools to start questioning? For example, if you if we can tell you that all manual scavengers in India are Dalit, uh, your science teachers, you know, we're talking about India's mission to the moon and so on. Uh, why is it that we still have manual scavenging in our country? Why is it that we have not been able to create something which can, you know, uh, we don't need a person to go down a manhole? So yeah, those are just uh, some of the ways in which we hope that to change the conversation, to get people thinking about rural India, to and not in a way in which there is sympathy and charity. There's we are not uh, our stories are not to bring up your sympathy and uh, you know ask for your charity. It is to show you the huge tremendous resilience there is in rural India among people there who are very little. To show you the tremendous strength and courage that people in rural India have, how much they are fighting to hold on to what they have, right? So we want these stories of resilience, of entrepreneurship, of uh, courage to really come through. Uh, we often say, you know, if you ask a classroom uh, in a school, who are your role models, they'll come up with all the big tech names and so on. So, but like, let me show you if somebody from rural India, if I can show you and maybe they'll become your role model too. Right. Thank you for that. With that, we come to the end of our conversation, Preeti. Thanks okay. a lot for joining us. Your presence here has been truly special. We wish you and Pari the very best in your endeavors. Thank you. Thanks, Vinod. Uh, your questions were really good. They made me think, and uh, I hope my answers have been comprehensive. And thank you, United Way Chennai, for inviting me, uh, Minakshi, especially. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And I hope everyone goes to the Pari website and uh, looks for some of the stories that I've mentioned and, and reads them and shares them and reads them in whichever language you like and shares them because uh, sharing our stories is the first step towards recognizing that, you know, there is this rural India landscape that we know little about and that we need to know more about. Bye-bye. Thank you. As we conclude this episode, we want to express our sincere gratitude to Preeti David for her invaluable insights and dedication to shedding light on the heart and soul of rural India. To learn more about Pari's work, please visit www.pari.com ruralindiaonline.org 
If you are a corporate organization seeking meaningful CSR initiatives, we encourage you to consider collaborating with us. By reaching out to partnerships at unitedwaychennai.org, you can explore opportunities to make a lasting difference in the lives of underserved communities. And remember, if you've enjoyed this episode and want to stay informed about more inspiring conversations like this, be sure to follow Out of the Box Talks on your favorite podcasting platform. We bring you stories that challenge the status quo and offer fresh perspectives on making the world a better place. Thank you for joining us today. This is your host, Rosie Sujata, signing off. See you in the next episode.